Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor, Eric Sandler. This is Thursday's show where I have a conversation with people in the food world I think you'll want to hear from. And there are very few people I want to hear from more than this couple. They are the owners of Street to Kitchen, a restaurant in the East End. Let me introduce you separately so people can hear your voices. She is a James Beard Award winner for Best Chef Texas. Chef Benchawan Painter, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having us. He is Chef's business partner and life partner. Graham Painter, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Eric. I'm great. Thanks so much for having us on. Hey, thanks for doing this. Look, I, I only ever do this when I have a couple that's either married or like in a very long-term committed relationship on the show. <laughs> Can we just start? Can I just ask you how y'all met? Okay, so this is a really funny story. So how we miss is uh, I go have a dinner with my friend at the restaurant and uh, he the kind of neck table say neck table to us and it's a dinner time. Grandma's wear like a sunglass with the rainbow color suit, you know, and I just talked to my friend like, Look at that dude. Like he think he looked that cool the way he act. And Graham just walked to me and speak tight to me and said, like, Oh my God, he understands everything I, what I'm just saying. Because that's, that's how we do it. It's just such a true story. And she was right. I looked like a dork. I thought I looked so cool. I saw a picture of me later. I was like, Wow, I had Kazal sunglasses and I picked up this rainbow colored checkered suit from South Africa. But uh, I was able to get her phone number. I, I was able to punch above my weight. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. And and I mean, I, I guess that the details should be obvious. But G, you were, by the way, I'm going to call you Chef G just for the listeners. I'm going to I'm going to call Chef Chef G because that's what everybody calls you. Okay. But G, you were I mean, we didn't you didn't say this explicitly, but you were living in Thailand. Yes, I am. Graham, what were you doing in Thailand? So I was a creative director for a, a big ad agency network called Sachi and Sachi. And I had been there a couple of years already. In total, I was about seven or eight years in Thailand. So by the time I met G, I'd had a couple of years to learn some Thai and I got fairly fluent. Uh, fluent enough to know that you were being mocked. You better believe it. <laughs> and that she was cute doing it. So I used it to my advantage. <laughs> All right. So then, so then when did you come to America? So I come here on 2015 on uh, September. It's like eight year nine almost eight year ago. So okay. our plan to just come visit and stay a couple year and leave. My dad had survived a few heart attacks, and by that point we were living in Myanmar, and it was Burmese New Year, which coincided with Thai New Year. We're on this white sand beach. Everything's perfect. And I remember very distinctly having a dark night of soul and saying, dad's had his second heart attack. He's come through. I've been gone from this country since 1998. Would you consider going with me to the States? And at first she was like, I don't think I want to do that. We're happy in Asia. Woke up the next morning and said, you know what? You're right. You've been gone a long time. Uh, it'll be good for you to be close to your dad. And so she agreed to come. And then had you been working as a chef or a cook in prior to moving to America? Yes. So I'm um, starting work with a little like little Thai restaurant. So I I kind of person cannot stay still. I have to looking for something to do all the time. 
uh, even my lilac time is mean the cleaning. That's how. You mean like in Thailand? You've always worked in restaurants. Oh yes, my uh, my grandma have the neighborhood restaurant, so I always in the kitchen when I'm grow up. It. And when I met G, she was doing pastries, I believe, wasn't it? In a coffee shop. Yes. In a coffee shop, but has always worked in the restaurant industry. Uh, she did a little front of house in Bangkok at one point, right? But mostly back of house. Yes. So then how quickly after you came to America did you look for a job working at a restaurant? So I cannot work for like full 13, 14 months because my paper. So on that time, I just like feel like, oh my God, I need to do something. I need to work. So uh, I just waiting on my green card to be approved. And after that, after I get my card, my green card, I'm just like, looking for the job immediately. Do you know where the first place, you may forget this, it was OCA, which is a Chinese American uh, organization. They do a lot of great uh, good for Asian Americans here in Houston. And uh, we knew Dory Fung through some connections of mine. And uh, she invited G to throw down. It was a big bow challenge. Yes, that's the first she ran. And okay. she did, uh, and this is a fun story. If you'll bear with me, no, please. This let me just say this is a venue for telling fun stories. So please. Tell the story. Because I, as a as a creative Texan as well, I digress and like to tell tall tales. So stop me if I start carrying on. But uh, we, uh, when we, back up, when we first moved to Texas, I wanted to feed her great Texas barbecue. So the first place I took her was to Luling. And we ate, I believe it was Luling barbecue. I think it was what it's called. Yes, yeah, it's City Market barbecue in Luling. Yeah. Which for the record has nothing to do, to, to spare myself the DMs, I know it has nothing to do with the restaurant called Luling City Market in Houston. Okay. <laughs> this is I'm, actually I'm, in I'm saving Luling. myself the I'm saving myself the DMs. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so I just knew it was a great place for barbecue and I wanted her to eat it. So we went there and she had a bite of brisket. And if you know G at all, you'll know she is not a morning person. So we stayed in a little motel in the area and she woke me up, dude, at like five in the morning, ribbing me an elbow into the side and said, Hey, are you awake? I said, Well, I am now. And she said, I couldn't sleep. That Texas brisket that you guys do with the bark on it. I want to make it, but I don't want to smoke it. And I think if I were to braise that brisket in my green curry, it's going to be really good. And so I'm like, sure, gee, that sounds great. Now, can I go back to bed? So <laughs> sure enough, she did it. And she did it for this big bow challenge. And the result was astonishing. I think we came in second people's choice or something like that. Yes. I think uh, our good friend, Tony Wynn oh, uh, came in. He had uh, Walker, Texas Ranger and rocked the house. But I think we were just behind him and it was like all these chefs were in there. And um, a couple of them, one chef Rishi and, and chef Willie Ducante, who at the time was at salt air seafood kitchen. They, they Clark, then the Clark Cooper concept group wonderful seafood place, said, uh, hey, if your wife isn't working anywhere, I'd love to have her come apply. That was the most soulful dish I've had in a long time. And that's how she got into uh, Saltaire, Chef Willie Ducante, that we're still so grateful to. Uh, and you really rose up in there and had a good until, time. Yeah, I'm there until the last day closing the door. Uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about your, your time at Saltaire because it's a very different you know, there wasn't Thai food on the menu. I mean, what, what was yeah. it like kind of working 
at an American restaurant serving oh, uh, I think for me, the first when we walk in there, it's just a little bit, uh, you know, confused and it's a lot of question because uh, a Thai restaurant in Thailand and a restaurant here is 100% different system. So I have to learn everything from beginning, like, you know, from like a label, everything, lab, everything, cleaning. I mean, like everything from beginning. So for me, it's really good because it's like I learned the 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 system. the The system is really good. That's what make me really love it. It's really organized, really really good system, and I really enjoy doing it. Actually, the mise en place was a big influence. But here's and and not to say anything against bigger kitchens or smaller kitchens or whatever. But the experience, the one thing that tickled me is G is so motivated. She would come home and she was shocked that every American that worked in a kitchen didn't want to be the next Gordon Ramsay. She was like, there's people who are trying to take long breaks or they're staying outside and smoking cigarettes and they're, they're on their phones. Can you believe it? And I'm like, well, yeah, they're, you know, doing a job. And yeah. They're she, line cooks. They're, they're, they're going to be line cooks. They're not going to open their own restaurants. And and so she's kind of like, well, why not? I don't get it. And so um, somehow word came around and, and I think it was, I think this was my stepmom actually, who was working in a jeweler. Uh, Leslie and jeweler at the time and a very well-known chef walks in one day. Was it an engagement ring or something like that? No, it's just like a gift, a gift. Yes. And she recognized it was Justin you. And she said, Hey, uh, let me tell you about my, and my, my stepmom is so lovely. She just brags <laughs> on us embarrassingly. And, let me tell you all about my daughter-in-law and blah, blah, blah. And Justin said, well, you know, she can always put an application in. If that's what she wants to do, I um, mean, he, he encouraged smaller kitchen for very passionate people uh, because you find yourself among other super passionate people. And uh, that was a, that was a match made in heaven, right? Like, yes, I, I will say that kitchen is just like it's a shame me because I love to work with a, a amazing people because I learn from them. It's make me better. That's why the theater like it just like really shame my Oh. And it hadn't, well, you joined early days of Theodore X, right? It had been Oxheart until very recently by the time you joined. It just still did all that. I know. It had just kind of become yeah. Theodore X. Well, yeah. So so you said that it really shaped you. How did it shape you? What what lessons did you take from your time at Theodore Rex? So it just changed my thought thinking about the restaurant. But, you know, like Sata is a huge restaurant. So uh, I see a lot of issue in that one, like, you know, the biggest, like, is really a little bit difficult to control people and the way they land the food. But the theater, like, it's more like, it's more, everybody is have patience. Everybody wants to be really good. Everybody really care, each step by step. Like, everything is just, like, different, really different. And I really love that way a lot. So then at what point did you kind of start to think, like, okay, working for other people is is exciting and I'm learning things, but but this city needs my version of Thai food. So actually, like I do, I have the LLC of Street to Kitchen on uh, 2017. It's the gift, birthday gift from Graham to me. So <laughs> I already start doing like a, like a, like a pop up, you know, like a farmer market a little bit, but never full time. And this is where we have to give a big shout out to you, Eric, because at that time when we were starting to do pop ups, I'm an ad guy by trade, so I wanted people to know and people to come try our food and say, hey, this is going to be good. And you are 
the only one who gives a time of day out of all the press. And, and I love our Houston food press. They're great. I'm not saying anything, but I am saying thank you because you were right there in one of our first pop-ups and uh, we just can't appreciate that enough. Well, I, I mean, I, I mean, I know this sounds silly. It's like, but I, I think what I did was I, I think I, I think I probably talked to Justin and I said, you know, tell me about this woman. And, and I think he probably said, yeah, you should, you should go eat her food. That's awesome. You know, and, and I, I mean, not to toot my own horn or anything. And, and cause we've got plenty of other things to talk about, but I, I do think of like going to, going to pop-ups and trying new things is kind of part of the job. Right. So, you know, I've met, and I've met, I've met some really wonderful people that way. It's how I, you know, it's how I met Opie from Chopping Block. It's how I met uh, Johnny Rhodes, who would open Indigo, like just being like, okay, like if you, if you can sort of answer the right questions about where you've worked and what you're doing, you know, the bar for me is pretty low, right? Like one, you know, a drive to the far end of Westheimer to like come and eat Thai food, like, I'll check that out. That's cool. I can I can do that. Um, so so talk to me a little bit about kind of evolving street to kitchen and and getting to the point where you were ready to open that that first location on Harrisburg. So uh for me, I just like I'm really like believe feeling person. Like I will really, really follow my 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 gut. Like if I feel like okay, I'm ready, I would just like this because I remember like after we start to open the street to kitchen at the gas station on 2020. And on that time, you know, it's COVID already like heading and me and Graham, we just sit down to each other and look at our bank account and we say like, Hey, what our plan? Like we want to leave it in the bank and just, you know, let's see what's going on. Or we just want to put to open the restaurant. So, so evolution wise, I had a little ad agency. All my clients had dried up. I had done one last gig. And so we had X amount in the bank. It was not a lot. Yeah. And it was kind of like, okay, uh, what do we do? We don't want to get assistance from anybody. We want to be able to plug along. And we had established an LLC called Street to Kitchen so we could do pop-ups and catering and stuff like that. So we had this existing LLC. And we were like, hey, we've got an essential business on the books. You'll remember back in early 2020, we weren't even encouraged. To, I don't think we were even allowed to go certain places and certain jobs. I mean, the world was coming to an end. And right, so like you couldn't you couldn't get a haircut. You know, I remember yeah, that yeah. like very clearly. It's just like yeah. if that couldn't bad. go to the gym. There were all these. Yeah, no. I Yeah. So you remember the days and it was it seems insane to start a restaurant in the middle of all that. But for us, it made the most sense because we had this LLC on the books already. We had a way to make money. And so I literally, uh, I didn't sell. I gave my shares of the agency to my two partners and still paid off the credit card we had and then took what little we had. And fortunately, the first place we scouted had just come available. Yeah. And that was an old, it, it had been an old Popeye's. It was born as a uh, Brewster's way back in the day, like 40 years ago in a gas, wow, okay. gas station. And then it became the neighborhood Popeye's. By the time we had it, it had been a few iterations of other stuff. I think it was a taqueria at that time. And they got caught, on a, you know, by surprise with COVID. And so by the time I had scouted, I think they'd been closed a week or two. And literally, I saw the drive-through window and said, where can I sign? Yeah, I remember on that day, I telegram, like, 
Do you believe in me? Because I believe this is will work. I will make it work. No matter what, I will make sure this it will work. And a lot of that is the training that she received here in Houston and understanding systems. One of the funnier things is the first couple of days after Theodore Rex, she came home and she said, farm to table, farm to table. In my mind, that's just Thai food. That's just what we do. <laughs> so we've right. always. <laughs> right. Well, and I don't mean to yada yada this, but you had you had built a following. I mean, you'd been by yes. by that point, you'd been doing the omelets at the farmers yeah. market, and kind of like building some some credibility and some recognition just just for that one dish. Let's talk about that a minute, because and I want fellow people con considering opening restaurants to understand our journey a little bit, because we did have a long track of building a following. Uh, and we also were at little Danny Speedo's go fly a kite lounge, say that twice, uh, which is kind of behind our house <laughs> over in the East end. And um, the owners would let us do pop-ups on the weekends. And so we began to build a following of people in the East end with her super spicy grapal, her yes, stir fried that's basil. That's the dish we make over there. Uh, and we knew that it would go down well in the neighborhood who already were exposed to a lot of Mexican dishes that had a little fire to them and a lot of more adventurous East end residents, artists and bohemians and folks that were open to that. Um, it wasn't successful every night. Some nights we'd come home with pennies in the pocket, uh, but we just didn't give up. But you it know what? Like, we have fun doing that. Like it's I think fun. I drink more beer than we made. Someday we drink more than <laughs> <laughs> But it, uh, we always kind of saw that in the farmer's market as Farmer's Market A, we wanted. We knew we were going to open a restaurant one day. So we wanted connections with the, the people who are growing the best food. Uh, but also B, you know, pick the right farmer's market. It, you, our target audience was right there. And up until the last day that we just finally had to tell Tyler, the director of the market, that, man, we just can't make it work anymore. We've got too much going on. But up until that last day, we would get people every week who discovered us to that farmer's market. They'd come to the drive-thru, they'd come in the restaurant, and they'd say, hey, uh, we saw you last uh, Saturday. Uh, do you remember us? Of course, oh, yeah. Of course, I don't. I'm, I think I, I might have a problem remembering faces and names. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but that market, that Urban Harvest Farmers Market, serves as such a great incubator because yes. it's not just you guys. I mean, it's Totemo. It's June. It's Dumpling House. It's El Topo. So, yeah. I mean, it's such a great way to get your feet wet i think and yeah and, and you meet build a your chefs you meet people like you eric and you meet writers you meet people who are foodies you, but you also get to meet the good chefs and there's nothing like a great chef eating your food and saying hey that was really good uh and if they tell somebody else then that's a great credibility so the one thing that i remember about when you open the brick and mortar is that you had fried chicken on the menu because you thought okay it used to be a fried chicken place we have to do fried Big chicken brand idea um it almost cost our marriage and our restaurant <laughs> i mean how quickly how quickly did you figure out that like actually people will just order the the like we don't have to do this people will order the thai food and well, we can let, we can let this go so, so on my side i okay. know it from beginning like i know like you have a lot of fried chicken in the neighborhood but you don't really have any thai food in the neighborhood because the condom ones already caught like not really cold, but they plan to cold on this on that time. I'm not sure that they already closed or not. No, they were open. But and uh, I talked to Graham like, hey, you know, fried chicken, you barely make any profit, and you have to have a lot of space to st uh stock it, everything, the fire, the oils, everything. 
And I just, you know, tried to talk him out about that, but he really sure well, that's so, a good idea. So consider my background a minute. Because all I've done up until then was a creative director for big brands, ad, ad agency guy. And I'm thinking, okay, we're in a neighborhood that's a little secluded and we're going to have to win the neighborhood over first. And hopefully people will come from the outside. So the demographic that I expected was going to be a lot of them fresh to what we offered. And there's nothing better catalyst than fried chicken. Every culture in the world loves fried chicken. If you, if you find one that doesn't, I don't want to go there. I mean, fried chicken's great. And Thai fried chicken in particular is one of my favorites. So we call it Hot Yai style. Hot Yai is a town in the south of Thailand. In Bangkok, when we left, it was all over the place. It's kind of like really crispy. They use a little fish sauce in it. Nicely marinated, beautiful fried chicken. And we had the equipment. We had the setup. I mean, my goodness, we were in an old Popeye's. So the thought was fried chicken and curry. And I'll win you over with my fried chicken. And hopefully you'll start trying some of the things that you're less familiar with. I'm going to tell you the truth. The opposite happened than what we thought. Neither one of us could have predicted this. Neighborhood's been supported from the get-go, but the majority of people were coming from Urban Harvest. They were driving from freaking Cyprus and Rice Village and coming from Galveston. I mean, we had couples that were coming every week. Uh, we couldn't believe it, and they were packing it in. Um, so those guys were getting the fried chicken, but they were also getting the noodles. They were also getting the curries and everything else. And as G said, the lesson learned with the fried chicken and my God, I have so much respect now for Popeyes and KFC and, and all these guys and Frenchies. It's a hustle. Uh, it is a very low profit margin and a very high volume product that is not easy to get right. And on and, that time, yeah. the chicken it's already going oh, up. The price to, of chicken, yeah, as you know, three times the normally price. It started soaring, but there were other difficulties. So G didn't want to just do fried chicken. She wanted to do a deconstructed Thai biryani. And it was fabulous. But what it did is it gummed up the fryers, too. So we're using this kind of yogurt marinade. And we're, it, it, we call that dish a kalmok guy, yes. which is, a, is the Thai version of biryani with yellow rice on the top, chicken under. It's a delicious dish. But she said, hey, what if I season the chicken with all of the kalmok stuff? I'm going to serve the yellow rice on the side, and then I'm going to give the special namjim green sauce as the dipping sauce. And everybody who tried it loved it. But what everybody didn't know is, I mean, after a couple rounds of that stuff, you, there was gunk in that fryer. <laughs> so it was messy. It was low profit. A lot of work. I think our food cost at the time was like 50%. And she yeah, showed that's too high. Like oh this, that's that that's almost okay if you're running a steakhouse and completely unsustainable if you're doing any anything else. Yeah, I mean if you're selling ten thousand dollar bottles of wine, but right. it was like um, so she said, This is it, that's it. Don't tell me what to do in the kitchen. And that was kind of when I started to back off. It was like she knows what she's doing. <laughs> and uh so we pulled the chicken off the menu, Eric, and food costs went to thirty uh, percent, like overnight. And so it was kind of like, you know what? We'll do chicken sometimes as a special here and here and there. We love the fried chicken, but God bless these fried chicken places that figure this out because, man, it's a hustle. Yeah, I'd love to see. I mean, you guys aren't open on Sundays, but I'd love to see it come back as like a Sunday supper kind of situation once a month or like, a mm. you know, run it on a Monday or a Tuesday or something when you're a little bit slower. I mean, because I it was very delicious, but yeah, completely, completely unsustainable. All right. So, so, gee, when did you start to feel like 
we're making it right. We're, we're, we're achieving some success. When did you, when did you start to feel a little bit more comfortable? You know, like you never feel comfortable in this business, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's always thing all the time. So I, even from today, I'm still not 100% comfortable. It's just always something coming up. But all I do is just like, you know, my mom loved to tell me like, do your 100%. Like, make sure you do 100%, put them on 100%. So when you look at back, Maybe it's not the best for someone else, but that is your 100%. You do all in. Well, let's be fair, Eric. We gambled. Yes. We gambled everything we had on ourselves. And I mean, so like from everything. day one, if we ever let doubt creep into our minds, we couldn't do it. It's kind of like you have to make it work. It's no shot. And we're still that way, man. We are. <laughs> what we make is what we pay for our bills. It, you know, we, we have to at some point get to a level where – it's not like that, but that is how we are. And we never let ourselves think what if, because it's not an option. All right. Well, I, I do have a couple. Of, I, I want to I want to fast forward a little bit because okay. obviously this last year has been a tremendous time for you. I don't really know a great way to ask this other than tell me how your life has changed since you won the James Beard Award. I've been like, it's like a fifth, like really fast, like. Uh, I would say we already get some like a support customer who, you know, know us and come support us. But when we win that award, it just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just shocking on that moment. I just can't believe I just like, it's so many things in my head. Like, oh my God, is that true? Is that dreaming? Is it really happening? But the next day, it's a funny story because we still in a, uh, Chicago, <laughs> because we plan is we not going to sure we we get it. So we stay a couple more days up over there. So our staff need to come back and deal with all like it's craziness. The so next we, day. we had taken our whole staff up to Chicago and we wanted them to experience it because G keeps saying we, she won the award, but that's how she thinks. Everybody was part of it. So we flew up the staff and they were going to come back the day before we were coming back. Sure that we weren't going to win. And when that happened, it was like, oh, my God, we didn't enjoy that last night. Yeah, Chicago, the next we? morning we get phone call. We get a lot of like talking and our staff. Picking. Our staff, it's just like they call me. Like, oh, my God, it's like a war here. We let out everything. We're and sitting in Royster on the phone the entire time. It's been crazy. It like... <laughs> but I do not feel that moment because we're still in the Chicago. <laughs> I mean, I. I mean, you've done TV since then. You've got a a proclamation from what Harris County and the city of Houston. I mean, you know, it's like all of a sudden everybody just woke up and was like, "Oh yeah, Street to Kitchen's like one of the very best restaurants in the city. Like we should be paying attention to them." Yes, yeah, so a lot of people are just like, "Oh, it change everything." You it, know, it's make people know us more, and that's it for me. Like, I really proud on it because I really want to show people, like you know, like a, a Thai food. It's a really good flavor on it. One of the most touching things was out of the proclamations, because we have the, the preserve, that restaurant with David Skinner, where we're doing tasting menu. The, the city of Kima were the first ones to jump on there and give her a proclamation. Uh, and I thought that was just really touching. They were like, hey, how many tiny towns can we claim that we have a James Beard winner in? <laughs> right, right. So talk to me about the preserve, because I, when we met about it for the first time, it was going to be a tapas bar. That's right. And then when I showed up to to try it, it was a tasty menu. So, <laughs> so, so 
how did you get to that point where you're like not and not only a tasting menu but like a tasting menu that's like a, hist- a history lesson a, an anthropology lesson like a cultural studies I, I mean how did you kind of develop that approach to to this restaurant because i there's there's nothing else like it uh that i've ever been to it was a um so david skinner approached us about the idea in the very beginning hey why don't we do a collab? That's just how we start. And and Jean has had to turn a lot of things down because we're just stretched too thin. But she heard David Skinner, who she has an immense amount of respect for. We were going to Eculent for special things. She's always been interested in his world. And she said, tell Chef. She was, she was hearing through the phone. I was on the phone with him. And she said, say yes, which I wasn't expecting that quickly. So we didn't <laughs> quite know what it was going to be. And so um, we kind of bounced it with Chef David. What we did know from the beginning is that we didn't want to ever do fusion. We wanted to be very authentic from each chef's personal journey. And we thought, yeah, we can do some things that are uh, really authentically Thai and some things that are authentically Choctaw. But it raised a really big question, and we had to sit down and have a meeting about it. The big question, what what the hell is Choctaw food? Uh, Because Native American food in its modern iteration is not really what the ancestors made. It's fry bread, fry bread tacos. It's things that are post-colonial ingredient. And what David wanted to do was he wanted to be unapologetically Choctaw, but that didn't really exist yet. By the way, we're the only Choctaw restaurant in the world, according to Chief Batten of Choctaw Nation. Uh, So when we started to brainstorm on it, I said, hey, guys, you do realize that Thais didn't have chilies, tomatoes, potatoes, papayas, and mangoes, and all this stuff until the Portuguese brought these things along the spice route when Columbus discovers North and South America. And Skinner's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And all of a sudden, the idea was kind of manifested. It was like, that's pretty cool. What are, What is the relationship? The, so as baffled as anybody, they might be, what in the hell does Thai food and uh, yeah. Native American have in common? Like, but that question gave the answer. The, the answer is, what they have in common is the cross-pollination of a third party coming in there and introducing ingredients from both parts of the world. And then we realize now there is no more important cuisine on earth than Native American. Without Native American farming and food products, you have no French food. You have no Italian food. You have no modern iterations of all of the global food that we think of West African or Indian. All of these things happened like 450, 500 years ago when the Portuguese started to bring these ingredients along the spice route. Imagine Italian food with no tomatoes or French food, no tomatoes, no potatoes. I mean, 60% of the world's produce came out of the new world. So that really gave us an interesting platform to say, hey, um, what if they just do a parallel journey? We start in, in the history and work our way up to the present. And along that journey, somewhere in the middle, you're going to see ancient Thai evolve into modern Thai. And you're also going to see Choctaw get inspired by things like black pepper and chicken that didn't exist until the Europeans started to bring it back. And that's how it happened. So let me just, let me just ask you, I went to the preserve and I thought this is, this is intellectually interesting. And I like, obviously like my palate is I'm tuned to the modern flavors. So like, I like the end of the, the dishes at the end of the tasting menu more than the dishes at the beginning of the tasting menu. But what kind of feedback are you getting from people? Are they, are people coming back to have this like multiple times or are they, yes, is it kind now. of a one and done? It's just now started. 
where we're getting people who are coming back. For the most part, it's new people. But we're now getting folks who come and say, oh, my God, I got to bring these friends or I got to bring my parents. And so that's starting to, to happen, uh, which we're really excited about. And we have people who like the dishes at the end the best. Uh, you know, Chef David's duck, uh, Chef Benjawan's uh, wild boar belly. But we also have people who say their favorite are some of the early stuff. Uh, we're getting a lot of it from the uh, the Thai crab dish yeah, or the uh, Sangwa, which is the shrimp, which, by the way, she's now done an iteration of that with the tiger prawns here at Street to Kitchen that are becoming quickly popular. Um, yeah, I think I had that dish when I was uh, the last time I was at Street to Kitchen. And, and people are now uh, digging straight into the to the shell and it's become super crispy, just devouring the whole thing. But that that was begotten by her research at the preserve because that dishes is, is one of the ancient cuisines in the Ayutthaya kingdom that did not ever use chilies, even though they had them. So that's another learning we're having is that the ties kind of warmed up to the chili later on. Uh, and I think the dive of the preserve is causing a lot of influence right on yeah. your food today. Well, well, yeah. So that was my, my next question for you, chef is, is how, how do you see, your half of the tasting menu at the preserve evolving. Like, what are you, what are you sort of researching? Like, what do you want to introduce uh, for the next time you update that menu? Yeah. So uh, on my side, it's just like, I want to show like people, like, you know, before Thai people, the way we eat, like really plain, simple before the chili in wall. Like, but we have a lot of natural spice, like maybe from Galanga, as far as like lemongrass, something like that. But I really want to show them from beginning of the time people Thai people eating to the end, like how the flavor changing, like, you know, 100% different from the first and the last cause. Like when the chili in war, just like, it get more like, how you say, more like excited for me. So like more excited when they have chili in there. But Thai people eat really simple on the beginning age, like really simple, super simple. And it's not really like a red meat in war at all. And I think bringing more like bugs into it right now, we have two very, two forms of ants, you know, the native Americans with the black ants. And then we have the red ant larva bugs were big in both cultures. And there's a lot of room to move. The way that we talked about it was these ancient techniques can become trendsetters. If we do them right. Like if you think of nixtamalization that's been brought back and now it's kind of becoming a thing, right? Like you can go, you could probably find it all across the globe that some chef is dabbling in nixtamalized corn or nixtamalized something. Um, there's techniques that chefs are not using that we hope by default and by research that the preserve can bring up. All right. And then the last thing I, the last thing I want to ask you about is the big move, right? You, you opened it at the plant on Harrisburg. You moved about a mile to the West. So tell me about that decision to go with the bigger location and, and to relocate? So, uh, like I say, I really, like, believe in my feeling a lot. So, I actually, I come look at this spot, like, year before ago, I before leave. everything is happening. Like, I come look on it, and I just like, okay, you know, maybe one day, but it's just not right time for us yet on that time. And uh, I think it's like, you know, a couple of people just try to show at this spot, you know, and we just, okay, it's, it's not the right time yet. It's, it's just, 
everything is just not really ready to move or anything. But I think after we come back from the Chicago, after we win, and we just like start to get like so many crazy, we have to turn people away a lot. And well, a back. lot of people is that are driving from really far. And I feel really bad on that part. Like, you know, they have a long drive and they, we can't even sit them. And it just, it just make me like really sad. That's why we, I just tell Graham, like maybe it's time for us to move forward somewhere a little bigger. So that was on the emotional side, but here's what happened when G1, we got whisked behind stage in Chicago at the opera house. And so the news media carried her somewhere and took interviews, but I was talking to all these former winners and big restaurants, small restaurants alike. It was really interesting. Every one of them was saying, just wait till you get back. For better or for worse, your life will never be the same again. And there's nothing that will prepare you for it. I heard that from a couple of different people. Nothing that will prepare you for it. So when we got back, I think we had to hire like five people that week. And we only had like six people on staff. So all of a sudden, you're looking at your margins are going from red, black to red. And we had to make a decision. We were either going to double the cost of our food price. No, but you know you can't sit any which, more people. Or, or we're going to double location. the occupancy. And so when this opportunity came around, it was a no-brainer. We really needed more seats. We just had to do something. Yeah, I mean, I remember just like looking at your you know, online reservations after, you know, a couple of days after you won. And there were like no dinner reservations for a month. Or it was like... 9 p.m. on a Tuesday. It yeah. was, I mean, it exploded. So the move makes a ton of sense. I, I mean, you've been there for what about a month now? This two is our months, third month now. Two so two full months. We're going on okay. our third. Oh. Yeah, November, December. November 11th. Okay. One and one month. <laughs> not even two full months yet. All right. Oh. Almost two months. Yes. How's it going? How, how do you feel like you're adapting to your bigger location? So we still have to learn a lot. Um, you know, we come from really like ten table. It's you know everything tiny. You know, and when we move to the the, the bigger location, it just it still fill up. Like it's still a lot of people. We deal maybe like one eighty five a night, and we just kind of still have to learning the whole thing because it's the bigger. You know the way you organizing you know to deal with everybody and it just but in a good way it's nothing going down yet and we still really like excited to come in every day it's like we went from being a, an unknown punk rock band to starting our journey in rock and roll that's a little bit more commercial and so we're we're uh you know the punk approach works in the gas station uh, the, the idea of it not really having order and just being our personality coming out doesn't fly in a bigger space. And we've got a really good ge general manager that we hired. Thank goodness before all of the award and all of that, who had started the process. So it was just a matter of intensifying that getting our front of house. The goal is to keep it as polished as what's coming out of the kitchen is the kitchen. The food is still astounding. me. It's still solid and learning all of these uh, systems the hardest part for me, and I, I think for G2, is that we're having to put rules in place that now we're having to follow. It's like, hey. <laughs> right. I mean, that like kind of punk rock, hand-drawn menu, yeah. Karen, like that you created this Karen character who like yeah. 
wanted chicken pad thai and egg rolls and all like you know and you basically just put your middle finger up in the air and said yep. <laughs> you know that's not what we are we're not we're not doing that that was fun when you're 35 seats at 10 tables yeah yeah and it, but it doesn't really fly at 100 like yeah but we still don't have chicken our pad thai <laughs> no 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 right right i mean yeah, I guess I guess that maybe that's a maybe that's a good place to kind of wrap this up. I mean, you're still unapologetically Thai, but like I guess where's the balance between like customer service and staying true to yourself? Well, I think the answer lies we were in Bangkok recently. And Bangkok right now the Thai scene is very encouraging. There's a lot of young indie chefs doing some really exciting stuff, pulling in Michelin stars. But they're not necessarily upper crust with big money behind them. They're in cool parts of town like Tongwa, Bangkok. And there are chefs like G that are doing the food their way. But the customers or the service is on point. It's like we are just another, in our minds, we're just another good restaurant in Tongwa and Bangkok doing our thing. And we are trying to get our service now where you, you know, the idea in service is to make it feel flawless, to make it feel effortless. We want you, we want to guess things that, you know you, you need before you know you need it. And we don't want to leave anything behind that you don't need. I just want to make sure everybody come in here is have fun. But we don't ever want to lose that mentality of, that's right. If we ever find ourselves, and I'm going to tell you, it's a quote. It's not us. It came from Brittany uh, Vaughn, uh, Jason Vaughn's partner of Nancy Sussel. When we first, yeah, when we first started the original Street to Kitchen, I'll never forget. She said, guys, if you ever forget that you're partying for a living, you're doing it wrong. That's and awesome. So right. Like this is serious as it gets, as hard as it is, and as many difficult things we have, if we ever forget that, we've lost it all. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say that brings me to the end of my questions. We've gone uh, longer than I intended, but it's been it's been terrific. Let me wrap up with this. I mean, what's what's next, Chef? Like, what are you... Where do you want to be six months or a year from now with this new location? Well, um, I just like want to make sure because I'm not going to like my, our plan to have more than one restaurant. So I just want to make sure my team is in a good, good shape. Even I'm not in here right now. They do pretty good. Some night I'm not in the service and the first come out good. They do amazing job. And we work the same thing with the front of house called Graham with some night. He not in the restaurant too. So the preserve. Yes. So right. our, our goal to have, you know, seamless service, whether we're here or not. Yes. So people feel like we still have fun, a good food, even we not in the restaurant. And right. hopefully we op- we plan down the road and I can't put a number on it, but to open another concept and you'll be first to know. <laughs> <laughs> is there, is there, do you have, but you have it in mind. We have a we number have of things in mind, in mind, but it's like, dude, we've got to get this train on these rails running smoothly. The the machine's got to be oiled. That's going to be a couple of years of us getting this right. Because, man, to get 10 tables right at the other place took us three years three. and it wasn't even right. So, you know, well, I guess we'll reach a point of incompletion, but not too bad. <laughs> yeah. When you're when you're like, OK, this <laughs> like this, this, uh, you know, this this structure that we've created is not going to just collapse. Yes. Like it's going to it'll 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 hold up to a stiff breeze. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that takes a lot. 
Well, I guess Bram, give us the give us the website and the social media for Street to Kitchen. Not that not that everyone listening to the show isn't already yeah. following you, but uh, plug your plug your restaurant, and we'll wrap this up. Thank you, Eric. And so, if you guys would be so kind as to make reservations, it'll help a lot. Street to Kitchen, so that's with a T O, like from the street to the kitchen. Street to Kitchen dot com, and then all of our social. We're most active on Instagram. We also have a presence on Facebook. It's also going to be at Street to Kitchen, all one word. Uh, if you need to get a hold of us, shoot us a private message on Instagram. Love to hear back from you. Yeah, because when I when I tried to call you, when I tried to call the restaurant, it didn't work. Yeah, and that uh, I'm going to blame our good friends at Comcast. I'm going to get that going. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. And um, the uh, address, please, guys. If anybody ends up Ubering over, Uber Uber Ride has not yet changed it. So the address is 3401 Harrisburg Boulevard. It's in the plant. Sweet G with the red building. Yeah. So closer to downtown near to, um, oh man, what is it? Sampson and Harrisburg. We're on the Sampson Street side. All right. Well, Graham, G, this was so much fun. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you, you. Eric. Thanks for what you do. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.